Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Messages on back to the basics, just studying the basics, some basic doctrines of the Bible. This would be what our, you would attend a discipleship program. These are basics. And so we are using, kind of using as our outline, the book called Continue by Paul Chapel. And if still, you're still welcome to purchase one in the bookstore uh, and follow along. And so tonight is probably the, the most the, the, the one that, the simplest one uh, for most of us here tonight, because it's on salvation. I, I wrote in the front of my Bible years ago, and I quote it to you every once in a while. I wrote in the front of my Bible a quote by Warren Wiersbe that says this. It is important that we interpret the gospel to the saved. The entire New Testament is an interpretation and application of the gospel. Preaching deep is preaching all aspects of the gospel. Dr. Warren Wiersbe. Preaching deep is preaching all aspects of the gospel. And so for us, a review is the best teacher. Also, I wrote, I haven't said this to you guys in a while. This is a quote by Eddie Johnson. Would I listen to myself three times a week? I don't know. Ephesians chapter 2, very familiar passage. We could have used many different verses as our launching pad tonight as we... Again, teaching topically on the subject of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you saved through faith. Saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm so thankful that salvation is by grace through faith. That it's not earned. Because if I had to earn it, I would fail. Miserably, miserably fail. So thankful for a Savior who came and did the work for me. The sinless Savior who lived, died, and rose again, that I might have my sins forgiven and therefore escape the wrath of God and have a home in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for salvation tonight. I pray again for us as we study this great subject. May you just uh, encourage us as a reminder tonight of the great love you showed toward us by sending your Son. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've covered three topics so far. We covered the Word, the Bible, and the importance of the Bible, God's love letter to us, and how supernatural it is, and how it supernaturally came about, how it's been preserved for us today. The second subject was knowing God, and how important it is for us as Christians, we as Christians, to continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very important in fact, it's key to the Christian life. The more you know him, the, the more you can be like his son, Jesus. The more you know him. And that's our purpose, is to be conformed to the image of his son. And then last week, we covered the subject of Jesus. Who is he? And just again, reminder that Jesus Christ was indeed God. God in the flesh, the incarnate one. God with skin on. And that Jesus Christ 
uh, lived a perfect life because indeed he was God. He was perfect man because he was God. He had no sin nature. And he also did not lay aside his deity when he came to earth. He was just as much God as though he'd never been man, and just as much man as though he'd never been God. He was the God-man. I showed you some scripture where when Jesus spoke, and he said on at least two occasions, that proved that he was not only was he the omniscient one and all-knowing one, not only was he the all-powerful one while here on earth, but he was still omnipresent. In other words, even though he was in that body, he was still present everywhere because he could not cease being God and therefore did not lay aside his attributes, did not lay aside his deity. The only thing we would recognize is he laid aside his glory and that peeked out every once in a while. There on the Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration and, uh, and uh, John on the Isle of Patmos. Think about uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, sometimes it just peaked out a little bit. God in the flesh. Tonight's salvation. The Bible describes for us many metaphors to describe the moment of salvation. I like this part. Uh, this is laid out real well, so I hope this will be something that you can draw from, maybe you haven't thought of. First off, I would say to you, in the Christian life, Paul gives us many metaphors to help us understand the Christian life. We've been studying those. We've studied those. You know, the, that, we, that, that the Christian life is like a battle. It's a war. The Christian life is like a race. And so those are metaphors. Those are ways, analogies in which to help us understand what the Christian life is like. Here we have metaphors that help us to describe what salvation, what happened at the moment of salvation. What, what happened when you accepted Christ as your Savior? In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, it says that to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. In other words, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, when you accepted Jesus, when you got saved, you passed from darkness to light. It's a good way to illustrate an analogy for us to understand what happened in our life. We went from darkness to light. The light came on. Then... John 3, 3 says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And here we know that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says to him, you've got to be born again. So another way to give us an understanding of what happened at salvation is that we've been born again. We've been passed from darkness to light, and we've been born again. I hope that you've been born again. <laughs> you must be born again. You must have that second birth. Another way in which... Uh, we see a metaphor in 1 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, received by tradition, and I, I, I'll, I'll quote it wrong, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. That's another way in which the, um, the Bible gives us a better understanding of what happened at salvation. We were redeemed. We were bought back. Bought back. The law had us in his grasp. <laughs> The law condemned us, but Jesus Christ came and saved us, bought us back, paid our debt. And then Romans 8, 15. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Another way in which we understand what happened at the moment of salvation is that we were adopted into the family of God. We were adopted. I am a child of God. Amen. At the age of six years old, I was a kid. At the age of six years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I was saved, and I became a child of God. 
joint heirs with Jesus Christ, adopted into the family of God. It's an amazing thought of what happened at the moment of salvation. It's an amazing thought of passing from darkness to light. It's an amazing thought of being born again. Being born again, being made new. Being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Being adopted into the family of God. Amazing. It's what happens when you get saved. We think about when we get saved, what happens is, number one, we're eternally saved. Eternally saved. I can't cover this subject enough. To be, for us, to review over and over again that it is impossible, it is impossible to lose salvation once you've accepted it. It's impossible. He will not, you know, he will, he will keep you. He will not let you stray. He will not let you go. And you can't walk away from it. Was saved eternally. Saved eternally. Maybe you're here, you're a newer Christian, or maybe you're watching and you're a newer Christian. You know, what happens if I sin then? What, what happens? Or what if I don't feel saved? And I was told this, or I was told that. The important thing is what the Bible has to say about it. Amen. What does the Bible have to say? It says that God's salvation is a gift, and that gift is forever. A gift. A gift is only a gift if it's freely given and not taken back. You take back something you call a gift, it's no longer a gift. You know, if you put a, if you put a gift under the tree at Christmas for your child, and once they open it, you take it back, it wasn't a gift. No, the gift of God is for keeps. And the verse we use a lot is found in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, I do want you to just kind of turn over there. This is a verse you ought to have written in the back of your Bible or somewhere because this is a question that comes up a lot. Probably at least the top five, maybe the top two uh, of questions I get the most is, can I lose my salvation? Or, or I think, I believe I can, you know, I hope I'm saved or I, I think I'm saved. You know, I, I, made, I made a profession when I was you know, eight at a vacation Bible school and whatever the case may be. I'm just telling you, it's a question that comes up a lot. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Again, he said he gave unto them eternal life. No man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Eternal means eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting. Everlasting means everlasting. It's only got one definition, it's everlasting. It's forever. You can't lose it. It's impossible. It's for keeps. No man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. As a kid, I would, all kids are impressionable, but our pastor was Roy Martin. And uh, I can remember as a little kid him doing the illustration of, of putting, you know, a quarter or something in his hand and having one of the kids, and I, it was me a few times, come up and say, hey, can you get that quarter? If you can get that quarter out of my hand, I'll let you have it. Or if you get that dollar out of my hand, I'll let you have it. I wouldn't let nobody do that tonight. I do have a dollar in my hand, but it's going to go to missions. So if you took it, that would be wrong. Uh, but, you know, could somebody get this out of my hand? But that's, the Bible describes 
us being in, the, in Jesus' hand. That's what John 10 saying. We're in the Lord's hands. We're in Jesus Christ's hands. But we're also in the Father's hand. We're in the Father's hand. And no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Everlasting, everlasting. Romans 6, 23, familiar passage. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a works lest any man should boast. It's a gift. It's a gift. God's gift is forever. We are his child. In other words, our relationship is sure. John 6, 37 says, he says, I will in no wise cast out. We're children of his. We're children of God. And he says, I will in no wise cast my children out. He will not disown us. We are his children. We are his children. I'll cover that more in a moment. The Bible describes this relationship as having a security deposit. In other words, an earnest that has been put down for us. And he will follow through and give us uh, a home in heaven. Uh, let's, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. There's several passages. 2 Corinthians, if you want to write these down, you can turn to them later. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5. And then look at Ephesians tonight and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Um, let's, back, let's look back at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He don't consult us. Why? That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, got saved, ye accepted, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That word sealed there means stamped. It's like the insignia that they used to use to stamp uh, an envelope or stamp an official document with. They would seal that with a wax seal and put that little stamp in it. We've been sealed. Holy Spirit of promise. Look at verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. A lot of us in here, probably most of us at one time, uh, found a home we liked and got with uh, the owner or got with the realtor and we put some earnest money down. By putting the earnest money down, we said we're going to come back and buy the thing. Get it inspected and do a few things, but we're going to come back and buy it. Earnest money. And the Lord's put an earnest down. And that earnest is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. He's coming back for His own. We've been sealed until the day of promise. We've been sealed until the day of redemption. We've been sealed until he returns. So, we are eternally saved. We are assured of salvation. We are assured of salvation. Emotions don't always match reality. Be careful about your emotions. Be careful. The devil wants to discourage you. And he'll try to discourage you by getting you to doubt your salvation. 
If you truly accepted Christ as your Savior, you transfer your trust to Jesus Christ and Him alone, and you got saved, you're saved. You're saved eternally. And the old devil likes to come and get you to doubt. Be careful. Be careful. God has assured us of salvation's emotions don't always match reality. Have you ever had that happen? You know, scared of something and then turns out to be nothing? Doesn't always match reality. So we are assured of salvation, why? Because of God's promise. God's promise. For whosoever, Romans 10, 13, we are assured of salvation because of God's promise. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. We just believe what the Bible says. It's what it says. Plain and simple. You call upon the name of the Lord. We know that the rest of the verse there, the rest of the chapter says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believing that he lived, he died, he rose again, you put your trust in him and him alone, you shall be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. Not maybe might or might be saved. He said you shall be saved. Thankful for the assurance I have in knowing that I'm saved. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. God cannot lie. He always keeps his promise. He always keeps his promises. We have assurance. We know that. Because if he could break a promise, he would not be God. If he lied, he wouldn't be God. God cannot lie. We're assured of salvation because of God's presence. When you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. At the moment of salvation, at that very instant, you transfer your trust to Christ from all of the sources, whether it be a baptism you're putting your trust in or church membership or your good works or whatever it may be. When The moment you transfer your trust to Christ, the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Bible also says Christ indwells you. It's the Trinity, amen? Jesus now lives in me. He has... He has he, has, uh, he abides in me. His abode is within me. The Bible says that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the child of God. Romans 8, 16. I heard a preacher preach one time, and I, I really do believe this. He said, at the moment of salvation and when you get saved, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And, at the, and when we get saved and, and the Lord moves in, we'll know it. It's a big deal. In other words, His Spirit will bear witness with our spirit. There'll, there'll, there'll be some changes taking place that are supernatural, that didn't happen naturally. We'll do things that don't come natural anymore. Fleshly, not fleshly, but... That, that don't come naturally, flat, but come spiritually. I'm messing that, but... We're born selfish. By nature, then all of a sudden we began to do things for others because we want to, not because we have to. God does something in our life. Ephesians 4.30 says, when we, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, or we feel that conviction, more than just a conscience, God has given... Everyone who comes to the world has a conscience. And because of the fall of Adam, the conscience is warped. 
The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? In other words, we know that you can't trust your conscience. But so the convicting of the Holy Spirit is more than just your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you shouldn't have said that. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And when you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is assurance that you're saved. That's proof that Jesus Christ is your Savior because He abides in you. And you feel that conviction. And you feel, you feel when He speaks to you in that still, small voice. We have assurance of salvation because of God's presence in our life. We have assurance of salvation because of God's love. I'm so thankful for God's unconditional love. Human beings have a hard time with that. Even with our own children, we have a, we have a hard time loving them unconditionally. But the Lord loves us unconditionally. In other words, his, lay, his love for us is not based upon our performance. It's not based upon what we do. He loves us unconditionally. And again, that's hard for our finite minds to really comprehend because we, have, we really can't love in that manner. Even after salvation, it's hard to love unconditionally. Romans 8, chapter, 30, uh, chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, we won't go there, you'll, you'll recognize it. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not death, nothing. Nothing can separate us from our Heavenly Father's love. No matter what you do, you cannot be separated from the love of God. And then we have assurance of salvation because of God's work in our lives. God's work in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. We have assurance of salvation because of the work that God does in our life. We are made a new person. A new person. We, we receive a new want to. Paul describes that in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things I do, I don't do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. He said, there's this war, there's a struggle uh, in our members to do right or to do wrong. It's a struggle there. But we have, when we get saved, one of the evidences of salvation is a hunger for the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, they might grow thereby. As a Christian, especially a new Christian, when you get saved, there is a hunger for the Word of God. Before all the stuff's, other stuff gets to us, right? Before all the discouragement and Satan and all the things come in, there's a hunger for the Word of God. I, I remember at the age of six being hungry for the Word of God, wanting to read it. There's an appetite for God's Word. Let me just clarify tonight, too, that if, if you're saved and you don't have an appetite for the Word of God, it means there's something spiritually wrong. It's just like it, physically. When I physically don't feel like eating, my wife knows there's something wrong because I like to eat. And when I do not desire God's Word and I don't desire to be at, be at the house of God and hear preaching from the Word of God, there's something spiritually wrong and I need to get with the Lord and, and uh, find out what it is and get it right. There should be an appetite for the Word of God. It's one of the evidences of salvation. There's, a, there's, a, there's evidence of salvation by way of obedience. In other words, as we, when we get saved, there's a growing obedience to God's command. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. One of the evidence that we're saved is we desire to obey the Lord. Again, Romans 7, Paul had a desire to obey, obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. And then 
One of the evidence of salvation is love for Christians, a love for the brethren. 1 John 2.10, we have a love for each other. There's a desire to love each other, concern for each other, to serve one another. We have assurance of salvation because of the work of God in our lives. We have assurance of salvation because of God's chastening. This is a tough one. I do want you to turn to this verse as well. Hebrews, somewhere in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. One of the evidences or one of the ways we are assured that we're saved is because we experience the chastening of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 says, And and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? I mean, as a dad, Amen. if you're a real dad, Amen. a real man, you're going to chasten your children when they do something wrong. That's what it's saying in verse 7. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You're not saved. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And we can go on and on here. Uh, let's go a little bit more. Now, now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Isn't that true? But grievous, verse 11. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Let me give you the practical of this, and then we'll do the spiritual. The practical is that parents ought to discipline their kids. Amen. If you love your kids, you will. Amen. If you hate your child, in fact, that's what Proverbs says, if we, when you do, not, do, you do not discipline them, the Proverbs says, Solomon says, you hate them. Right. In fact, he goes further than that. He says, if you don't use corporal punishment, Amen. you hate them. That's what he says. I'm, I'm, don't shoot me. I'm, just, I'm the messenger. And that's the way, biblically, we ought to raise our kids. We ought to train them up in the way of the Lord. And chase, the chastening is part of that love. Amen. I don't chasten my kids. I didn't chasten my kids because I, I wanted to be the bully or I was the bigger guy. No, I chastened them so they'd learn how to live right and do right. Oh, there's lots of ways I could go with this one. I'm, I'm telling you, there's... Mom and daddies can be overprotective. There, there's some things some kids aren't experienced. So they'll learn how not to do stupid stuff. You do, I use the word, I'm using the word stupid because I think it's appropriate tonight. Um, sometimes we do, we need to do stupid stuff so we won't do stupid stuff. Hello. Helicopter moms. Lawnmower moms. Why do they always pick on the moms anyway? I don't know why. That's not me. That's society picking on moms. That's the practical. Y'all want me to get the spiritual? I might as well get the spiritual. I'm thankful for the chastening of the Lord. 
in my life. Just as I'm thankful that my earthly dad, who's here tonight, chastened me as a kid. I'm so thankful for that. It is very much a part of, what, of why I am standing here tonight. And can I tell you, both ways. The physical chastisement that my dad and mom gave me growing up is why I'm standing here tonight. And the spiritual chastisement I received from the Heavenly Father is part of the reason I stand here tonight. Without the chastisement, where would I be? I don't know. As a child of God. We are assured of salvation because we're chastised, because we feel that chastisement of the Lord. We receive the chastening of the Lord. And when we do sin, what happens? When we do sin, we don't lose our salvation. We can't lose it. By the way, we can't earn salvation by what we do. Neither can we lose it by what we do. We can be disappointed in our children, and God can be disappointed in us, but we're still God's child. Now, at, the, at, at sin, the relationship is strained. Just like when I did something wrong, uh, my dad and I, I there would be, be a strained, uh, you know, there would be broken fellowship. Especially on my end. I would be one of those kids who tried to say, I'm not going to talk to dad no more. And then like two seconds later, we're, you know. No, the Heavenly Father, the fellowship is broken. But again, we're still children. A child of God, still daughters, still sons of God. Our God chastens us like a father should. In love, in love. Because God always has our best interest in mind. And then tonight, so that's salvation. We think about number two, we think about baptism. I do believe that we as Baptists many times, and even in the book, it uses the word the first step of obedience. I don't know that that's it's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible that baptism is the first step of obedience, but it is a step to obedience. We as parents, my wife and I, in raising our kids, and when it came to baptism, we decided that when our kid made a profession, we wouldn't baptize them right away. And what we practice around the heritage all these years is the parents decide. If your child gets saved at six and, and you want us to baptize him or baptize her, we'll certainly do that. Or you can wait and kind of give it some time. And for us, it was kind of uh, the thought was to see how that child acted and what that child did and just verify and teach them a little more. And then we baptized them. Again, I, I don't think it's wrong either way. I don't believe there are some who teach that if you get saved, you'll be baptized that night. I don't find that in the Scripture anywhere. But I do find that you ought to be baptized. And Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 28 that we ought to be baptized. And when you, don't, when you do not enter into baptism, when you do not enter into the waters of baptism, you have disobeyed God. And Peter says you're, that you're that your conscience will bother you. The Holy Spirit will keep, keep at you. There's some of you in here tonight who, who held out a while on the baptismal issue. And I know Kevin Davis is raising his hand. Him and I had long talks years ago. And, uh, and it did bother him. He would testify to that. It bothered him that he didn't get baptized. Sorry to embarrass Brother Kevin tonight. 
You need to be baptized. If, you, if you're here tonight and you haven't been baptized, you, you need to take that step, that step of obedience to publicly acknowledge the salvation that's been given to you. It's a passageway into the church. It makes you a member of the church. And number three, and the most important, so number one, it's a public acknowledgement of your salvation, that you, had, that you are a Christ follower, that you're identifying with Jesus. He said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. It's a passageway into the church. When you get baptized, you become a member of that church. And then thirdly, and the most important, is that baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. And I know discipleship books written by individuals can vary on what they do, and I don't believe, in my opinion, that in the book continue, there's enough emphasis placed upon the picture because the picture is the primary purpose for baptism. Of what it pictures is the primary purpose. It pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 makes that very clear. You can read that later. You go down into the water, you're buried in the water as it is a grave, and then you come up out of the water, you're resurrected to walk in newness of life. A pouring doesn't picture the death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, a pouring is not a baptism. A sprinkling does not picture the death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, a sprinkling is not a baptism. You got wet, but you didn't get baptized. Not according to the Bible. Not according to the Scriptures. Nowhere in the New Testament do you find the act of sprinkling or pouring and and the act of baptism. It is always by immersion. In fact, baptism means to plunge. It means to dunk. Baptism. Salvation is the greatest event in my life. I'm so thankful my wife decided she'd say yes when I asked her to marry me. And that is certainly a great event in my life, and I would say probably number, you know, the second most important event in my life. But salvation was number one. Man, the event of, of seeing your children born in this world is such a great event. And it's a wonderful event, and man, it's, it's exciting and, and a little nervous at the same time, and it's a great event, but salvation's the greatest event in my life, and, and I know it is in yours. But I'm telling you, Satan's here to want, he wants to make you doubt when it comes to salvation. And doubt will rob you of your joy and your peace. By the way, that's what salvation brings. Of course it brings home in heaven, But in this life, it brings joy and peace and contentment. And when you doubt your salvation, the devil comes and speaks to you in your little ear and says, well, you shouldn't have done that. You're really not saved. A person who's saved really really wouldn't do that. A person who's saved really wouldn't have said that. He'll just, he'll get you. You just need to bow to you and humble yourself before the Heavenly Father and say, Lord, I called upon your name. I know I'm saved. Lord, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me. First John 1, 9 says he'll forgive you of all your sins. That's talking to saved, born-again people, not unsaved. John is speaking to saved, born-again Christians in 1 John 1, 9 when he says, if you confess your sins, he, that is the, that is the Heavenly Father, is faithful and just, fair, to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You must not doubt. I'm thankful years ago, years ago when I got saved, my mom actually wrote the date that I got saved in something. It was one of my Bibles or something. It's March 12, 1980. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad I know that. But more importantly, I can remember kneeling in the office of my pastor. 
I can remember the words that I said. I can remember what happened in my heart. Some six-year-olds, when they get to be 12 or 15, they can't remember those things. And many times the devil will use that to make you doubt. And I'm telling you, if you were saved at that very, very early age, it certainly ought to be a time in your life when you do get that settled. You do get that settled. And there, like me, there are those who are five or six years old who genuinely do get saved at five or six. Get it settled tonight. If you haven't got it settled, get it settled. Know. Know that you know. When I was a kid, I memorized 1 John 5, 11. This is the record that God hath given to me eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life, and the wrath of God abideth on him. And he goes on to say, These things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life, and this life, and this life is in his Son. I'm thankful I know. I don't have to hope so. I can know that I'm saved. I missed up the quoting of that, but I know. John says you don't have to hope. I get that answer all the time. I'll ask a person, you know you're saved? Well, I hope I am. You don't have to hope. Or I think I am. You don't have to think that you are. You can know. And Christian, if you're here tonight and you, you believe you're saved, you ought to know that you know that you know. And if you don't know that you know that you know, you need to come to the altar and make sure you know. Get that thing right. Lay your head down at night with that peace and that joy that God intended for you to have. That contentment that, you, that God intended for you to have here and now. I'm thankful for heaven, but I'm glad for the life I have here now. That joy unspeakable and full of glory. So thankful I can know I'm saved. That no man can pluck me out of the Father's hand. What a wonderful, wonderful Bible truth. Let's all stand. Hymn 337, Trust and Obey. For most of you tonight very much a review but I hope tonight a few things were said I like the the first part of the, the message again I'm getting at some of this from the book about the different metaphors that describe what happened to you when you got saved passed from darkness to light born again what a wonderful way for the Bible to help us understand what happened at the moment of salvation I'm thankful Heavenly Father what a blessing it is to know that we are children of, your, of, your, of you, Father, and thank you for that. Thank you for the assurance we can have. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.